using design thinking is how we get technology adopted in construction, getting the end user involved in the solution, the design of the tool, how it fits into their daily field day. That ensures that it solves their problem, makes their lives easier. You do that, you'll get technology adopted in construction. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, a manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building materials. And today my co-host is Ethan Young. Ethan, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Todd. I'm doing pretty good. Just got back from vacation and enjoying being back. So, Well, okay, rub it in and tell us yeah. where you were. <laughs> I went to Italy for a week, so it was my first time uh going over to Europe. So it was a lot of fun. We went to Rome, Venice, and Florence. So awesome. Saw a lot. But I do want to hear more and see some photos someday. Yeah. You said you took a bunch. But yeah, uh, I did. I have uh, been in Italy one time and on business and it was kind of a whirlwind trip, but it uh, definitely get, told me enough that I, I need yeah, to go it's back. Yeah, taking someday. the time for sure. Well, fantastic. Well, I also want to let our audience know we are doing a first-time event here on Construction Disruption with this episode. <laughs> Ethan and I have given each other challenge words. So each of us has a word given to us by the other one to try to work in at some time during our conversation uh, with our guests today. So, And then at the end, we will reveal our success or, yeah, yeah. or lack thereof, possibly in my case. I don't know. But I wanted to let our audience know because now they can be listening and seeing, okay, if they hear a re really odd word, which tend to come out of my, my mouth a lot anyway, they can say, that's the challenge word, maybe. We'll see. So our goal here at Construction Disruption is to provide timely and forward-looking information regarding the construction world. Um, as part of that, we're always looking at innovations and trends in practices, building materials, the labor market, all kinds of things. Basically, our goal is to learn about new and emerging things that are going to shape the future of building and remodeling and construction. And then we go out and find an expert uh, in that area who we can bring on the show and, and spotlight uh, what they are doing. So in today's episode of Construction Disruption, I think we're going to be about as cutting edge as you can be uh, discussing custom software that many contracting companies are choosing to have built for them in order to improve their operations and also, I think, to solve specific business problems. So with us today on this topic is Bob Armbrister, president and CEO of Spark, Business Works, based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, Bob, welcome to Construction Disruption. It's really a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Todd. And Ethan, I want, want to hear about your trip as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, thanks for having me. Well, you have a really long history in software development and, and IT. And would you share with us a bit um, about your career and how you came uh, to be at Spark? Yeah, quite a bit of history in you know, IT and then moved into software. And I'd always been passionate about how technology can actually impact a business and, and get real world results. And so I've had you know several startups and software firms uh, that I've owned and operated. And the common thread was that people kept coming to me saying, will you help me build something for my business? And Construction was was huge. One of my big clients was a national construction management firm, and I'd been consulting with them. And we just saw the huge need 
for digital innovation in construction and the industry just getting kind of a bad rap, like it's not a innovative industry when once you get into it, you realize it is. And so, yeah, so, you know, we've been focusing a lot of our business on construction and a lot of trades because there's so many options in construction when it comes to point solutions. And especially in the last few years, all the investment that goes into these new startups that are all offering different solutions, it's pretty risky for a lot of construction firms to try to pick the winners and losers of those to kind of hitch their technology roadmap together. And so we've seen a lot of success in just helping firms in this industry navigate that, decide when to build something themselves, custom, versus using something off the shelf. And so it's just a, a great environment. And we've been we've been lucky to spend quite a bit of our time in construction. But uh, yeah, we build workflow tools and technology for a bunch of different industries. And uh, just kind of been my bread and butter. Well, I think that is quite interesting that you folks work a lot with construction, uh, with the construction industry. And, and I think you're spot on. There's a general perception out there that our industry is kind of stodgy and, and slow to change, not necessarily really early adapters. But you certainly have hit the nail on the head in terms of there are companies out there in the construction industry who have been early adopters and really are working to push things ahead. Some companies, though, there are a lot still in our industry who are pretty old school and, and really aren't pushing things ahead. What do you think their fears are? Why, why are they sometimes afraid to go into new things or, or explore technology? Every firm has had the pain of a technology failure. Good point. And when you experience that pain, you don't want to feel that again, right? Hey, this was the solution. This was the silver bullet that was going to solve all, the, all our problems. We went to roll it out. Field team rejected it. Office team got mad. I mean, just a ton of pain, right? They don't want to make that mistake again. And especially right now, there's 30, I think there, I saw the other, there's 3,500 technology startups in construction right now. Firms are either finding their roadmap and building the solutions they need and innovating, or they're sitting on the sideline and waiting. So the firms that are sitting on the sideline and waiting, they've got good reason to. They don't want to experience that pain. Uh, they're going to wait and see who the winners and losers are and then you know, adopt the right technology. The firms that are finding ways to navigate through it are starting to get further and further ahead of those firms that are waiting. And I'm seeing that very clearly in uh, our experience. So is that your general advice also to kind of, you know, take it, maybe not necessarily slow, be very proactive and forward reaching, but kind of a one step at a time approach for companies? Yeah, I, I call it practical innovation. There's times where you know, we've built solutions for clients that is a time entry tool. Like that's not very innovative, mm -hmm. right? These firms, like I, I drove by a, a large dorm, a dormitory for a, a college I saw the entire thing get built over the course of 18 months. It was a modular design. The footprint of the job site was tiny, right? So these trades just built this giant building, assembled it on site. I mean, super technical. And then we end up building time entry tools for these types of firms, right? It's like, why would, it doesn't seem very innovative. But when that tool allows them to have data in real time on time, material, equipment usage, and they use that in their ability to do deliver better to the marketplace. And that tool has an ROI of six or 12 months, practical innovation for construction, in my opinion. Maybe it's not the 
whiz bang drones automation, but it's practical. It paid for itself. It got adopted. And then they move on to the next biggest ROI initiative. And so that kind of practical approach of we know the landscape is going to change. We know there's going to be all this new stuff, but what's our biggest bang for the buck right now? That'll put us in a better position when we readdress things in six months. So kind of taking that practical approach of how does it impact us? And then pop your head back up, look at the landscape, what's changed, and let's look for the next one. We see that being kind of the pathway that works the most, the best in construction. I really like that too. I think a lot of people in construction are very practical people. And like you were talking earlier with the kind of people sitting on the sidelines, they don't want to take a lot of risk. If you do a smaller risk like that, that's a great way to get them started without, you know, sacrificing huge chunks of time and effort and then losing all of it. And so, yeah, I agree. I think that seems like a really a great way to do it. So a company might, you know, as they explore technology, they might kind of go from vanilla to chocolate and chocolate and then chocolate with sprinkles. Yeah. Not straight from vanilla to pistachio or yeah, something yeah, necessarily. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta take your time oh, a little okay. bit. Okay. Well, I'm kind of curious, as you help your clients kind of figure out what that roadmap is and, you know, maybe what some of the low-hanging fruit is, are, are there any tools or how do you work through that with them? I, I remember once I worked with a consultant and he said, Todd, make a list of all your frustrations. And um, he honestly thought I'd give him a fresh list of like five or six things. And I literally had about 20 pages. I'm a very frustrated man. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you work through that process with folks? It's a great process. So what we try to start every client with is understanding kind of their their where and their why. Right? Where are you trying to go? And why are you trying to go there? There's too many times where I talk to firms that are replacing an accounting system or they're replacing a, their project management tool and they don't know why and how it impacts their ability to get where they're going from a visionary standpoint. So kind of going back to, hey, where are you going with this firm? Is this firm going to double in size in five years or are you going to get smaller or you know, what is that? You cannot make a good decision around technology until you know that. Mm -hmm. So you get that where and why, and then you helps you understand what to pick. We then ask firms to look at their competitive advantage, right? Why do customers choose you as a business? Sometimes it's, hey, we have the best relationships. Our clients have known us for 50 years and we have deep relationships. Or maybe it's low cost. We're the low cost provider. Understanding that, why clients buy, along with the vision, we then can help clients decide what to invest in on that roadmap in construction technology, right? If you're all relationship-based, you're going to want to invest in the technology tools that enable that to continue. So there's times where if you're a low cost provider, you're going to want to make sure that you're investing in technology that enables you to keep your costs low. It's, it seems obvious, right? But mm -hmm. there's too many times where you're spending time on technology doesn't need to happen. An example like that time entry tool, that client has the oldest accounting system known to mankind. Like any technology person looking at that company, replace that accounting system. But that doesn't help their field team. It does fine. What they needed was the ability to get data in real time from their field. So those kind of examples, when you put a roadmap together that includes why clients are choosing you and where you're trying to go and filter out that noise of potential projects. We then ask clients to pick guardrails on this roadmap, one or two things that will enable them to stay on the right path. I call them innovation guardrails. 
examples are we have got a client where their two guardrails are any technology has to help the field team and it has to have a 12-month ROI. They know they're where, they know where they're going, they know why clients pick them, and they have these guardrails. So when someone wants to bring up a project, they won't bring it up unless it's going to impact the field team. So now it takes those 3,500 startups, like all those options, it now narrows it right down. And then sharing that where and that why with the team, they understand why you're doing projects, they understand how it impacts the business, they're easier to adopt, they get it. It's not just leadership asking them to adopt a new tool. They're brought into the, the solution. So I know I'm giving a lot of information, but we do this all the time. I love it. You can probably tell that. But you put those things together and you're starting to implement a technology roadmap that actually helps construction firms win more work the way they're winning it right now. It's awesome. That's really neat because, you know, we're a manufacturing company, not necessarily a hands-on banging nails construction firm. But you know, I'm already seeing in what you're saying some of the basis of the reason for some of the, you know, frankly, technology failures that we've had over the years. You know, we were branching off into the next bright, shiny thing right. rather than really making sure that it was right. And, and that concept of innovation guardrails, you know, as I think about that and some of the things that we have done, I, have, I can clearly see how that would have altered our decision if we would have had those guardrails in place. Yeah. I mean, the guardrails are, are awesome. Like that example I used of that client, they had just transformed the way their business operated. And having that 12-month ROI, they were able to use kind of the boom of the market to fund all of their technology innovation, and it all paid for itself. And that's what's cool about construction. A lot of you know smaller privately held firms, you're dealing with the owners. These people do not waste money on stuff, right? So when they're able to get a dollar back in 12 months, it's really cool. And at the same time, just transforming their organization. It doesn't get any better than that. Are there any specific success stories of your clients that come to mind that you could give us a teaser of? Yeah, I mean, I think that firm that I was referencing, a large mechanical contractor, went from, because they implemented a tool to get daily data from their field, they went from a company that used to look backwards to look at how last month went with a project or the financials to now knowing daily. And they were able to use that data in their, their bidding process because they got a lot smarter. And so they, they recently won a really big regional projects. And one of their competitors, I, I saw that same week that the announcement came out and their competition told me that that client underbid everybody to a point where they weren't going to make any money. Then I went and talked to my client that actually won. I said, hey, I heard you guys won. And they said, hey, we're going to make a killing on this project. The reason of the differentiation between the firm that lost and the firm that won, it was a huge project. So the client that, or the, the firm that lost put all the risk in that bid because of all the unknowns. The client that won had eliminated that risk over the last year by getting daily data from their field, getting more efficient. So they were way more confident in their price. And that differentiation is, is showing up on big projects. Over time, it's going to come down. And the firms that are waiting, they're going to start losing smaller and smaller projects this way. And that's just kind of a, a story that really resonated with me to see the difference between those two firms. That is fascinating. And, and I can certainly see how that ability to get real-time information from your current projects, which, you know, may, I don't know this company, but I'm guessing some of these projects could be 12, 18, 24 months long. 
and get that information in real time rather than six months after it was done and you've had a chance to analyze everything and, and really do a deep dive into it. Um, so then that impacts everything that you're bidding in that interim. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. I did want to ask about your design process. I, I saw a blog post you read about design thinking, and that was something that I covered in college oh, yeah. that kind of pinged right in there. I have a book actually right here about uh, the guys that kind of created design thing, Tom Kelly and David Kelly, the brothers that kind of created it. And I, th I find it a really fascinating idea. And I read your, your article and I thought it was great. Could you go into a little detail about how that applies to your design process for custom software? And So I, there's also a post out there about thinking like a software company, which is really you know, what I'm talking about, practical innovation, building a culture of change. So the biggest risk in construction technology, like I'm sure people listening hear about that company that went to daily field entry and they're, they're rolling their eyes going, yeah, right, you're never going to get that adopted. Using design thinking is how we get technology adopted in construction. Getting the end user involved in the solution, the design of the tool, how it fits into their daily day, their daily field day or whoever's using it, that ensures that it solves their problem and makes their lives easier. You do that, you'll get technology adopted in construction. I mean, the reason people don't adopt technology in the field or in certain areas of construction because it doesn't help them mm -hmm. or it's confusing or it's hard to use. I mean, you just list it off. So using design thinking in the beginning of implementing any of these tools is the key to getting it adopted. That addresses the biggest risk. Um, and it's fun. Like you get, we always bring in the most difficult users in a company because typically when you're making decisions in technology and construction, like you don't bring in you know, Ed, the guy that hates everything, he's going to shoot holes in all of your, you know, he walks by a television, it gets blurry, right? Nothing works for that guy. We bring him into the room. Tell us all the reasons why this new field entry tool isn't going to work. And we listen. And then he helps us design the solution. Now, when you roll that out, he's out there being a champion. That's how you get adoption. That's the thing I was really picking up too from the article is just you get in right with the people and you know, like you said, they become a champion of it, then it's not just something coming down from the top that they have to deal with. And, you know, they're in the way they got to do a new system. And uh, I guess that's kind of the whole point of design thinking for anybody listening that's never heard the term before is just very user focused, very human focused. Like, how can you make this product perfect for that user and not just your idea or what, you know, kind of tailoring it. So it's a really interesting concept to me. And they talk about in the book with the uh, a great example of a guy that designed medical uh, machines like MRIs. You know, it's like he has this award-winning design. It's great. And he goes to see it in use. And there's a little girl in there and she's just scared to death to go in the machine. And he's blown away. He's like, well, my machine, you know, he thinks my machine is great. Why is it? But the end user, it's just, it scares them. And, you know, it's just not the right fit. So he ends up going back to the drawing board and making like a way kid-friendly machine with like all these stickers and designs. And, it, you know, it's just a resounding success once he goes back to that end user and uh, really tailors it for him. So, Perfect example of my first uh, mobile app we built for construction. My first construction client, this is probably seven years ago, you know, I built this mobile app. And at this point, I think I was developing it. You know, and I, I showed the HR person down the hall, hey, what do you think of this? And they loved it. I showed the marketing person. I showed all these people, right, that were around me in the office. And then I take it to the field, and this guy comes out, and he's got, like, the biggest fingers and the biggest hands. And he's trying to click these buttons on his phone, and he's just like, this is ridiculous. And I just realized, like, one, my hands are tiny. I'm like computer guy hands. 
versus like real work hands. But then it's like, wow, like these buttons need to be way bigger. And then, yeah, how's this going to work if, you know, you had gloves on or how's this going to work, you know, and the font size. And it's just like, oh, man, that was when I realized, you know, design thinking and construction, duh. But too many times these technology solutions are getting built in an office without pulling that uh, the real users in. So using design thinking is really kind of our, our suggestion to mitigating that risk of lack of adoption. Boy, I can sure see how what you're doing is going to play well for your clients and and really provide them with good solutions that have ROI and you know allow them to continue to to go forward with additional tech and projects. I'm probably one of the scary things for a lot of people as they're listening to this is, oh my goodness, custom software that sounds really expensive and like it's going to take forever. And you know, of course, any of us who have done package software or cloud software know that. The dollars add up quickly, and you got to buy. You got to hire an integrator, and it takes months to do all that type of stuff. So, uh, tell us a little bit about the comparison between custom software versus trying to do something off the shelf. Yeah, it, there's a lot of great solutions out there, and we've probably never really rebuilt anything that's been out there that's working great. We'll help clients integrate that. So, there is a place for custom. And there is a bigger place for off the shelf, right? Okay. When a client does decide that, hey, it's probably too risky or a, a software doesn't do exactly what we need the way we need it, then we go the custom route. And in those cases, the biggest differentiator or the biggest difference between off the shelf and custom is off the shelf, you might buy, you're buying 100% of a product and you're going to use 20% of it. When you're building custom, you know, you're going to only build that 20% that you need. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times the custom side is a lot lighter, not so many options, not so complicated, not all these features that you don't use. So when you really compare the cost, a lot of times it's not that different than being committed to a very large licensed recurring solution um, off the shelf. And there's, we've seen a lot of clients who find ways to reduce the price by, getting grants, R&D grants, um, different ways to to kind of, you know, a lot of our sophisticated CFOs are finding ways to kind of depreciate these assets because this custom software is actually an asset. It can go on your balance sheet. You can depreciate it over time, um, just like a piece of equipment. So they're finding ways to make it kind of being apples to apples when it comes to actual expense, but getting what they need. Now with all of the investment in construction tech, we see clients actually choosing custom because it's the less risky option. There's a lot of startups that appear to be amazing, huge software companies when really they're three guys, but they have a software solution for a certain subset of the market and it's amazing. There's going to be a time here. We've seen it in other industries where you've got all this investment, there's all these startups and then several years go by and then there's a huge consolidation movement where you're either going out of business or you're getting purchased and rolled into something else. More sophisticated firms acknowledge that's happening and they're kind of choosing custom as a risk mitigator to signing up with the wrong company that might not make it. So they're saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to leverage point solutions for the stuff that just makes sense. But when it comes to maybe a core that revolves around our, our differentiator in the marketplace, we're going to build that. We're going to let that connect to all these other cool tools. That seems to be kind of the strategy that a lot of firms are, are choosing, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, you get the flexibility of custom and the stability of 
well, the relative stability of already out there solutions. So it seems like a really good way to do it. Just as I'm listening, I'm thinking back to, and this probably is back to about 1990, so long time ago, we need a CRM system. Well, off-the-shelf CRM systems didn't really exist for the most part back then. I mean, I think there was a program called ACT that was just getting started about that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I had a custom design system uh, made, and we had a read it on a Quantel business computer, and it did exactly what we needed. And, you know, of course, today we're several systems down the road where we've used various off-the-shelf systems. And I still go back and think to that system I used in 1990, and I think it did exactly what I needed, and that's all it did. It was perfect. And, and yet, you know, you just, we can't recapture that uh, all with off-the-shelf systems today. So good stuff. So, I mean, you've talked about things like increased productivity, job reporting, different things. Are there any real key areas where you've believed that technology and software development is going to bring some real benefit and advantages to the construction industry going forward? I I guess what I'm trying to say is what are some of the key areas that you're seeing companies really delve into more tech? Yeah, it really depends on, on their unique roadmap you know, why, where they're going and why, mm-hmm. and going back to those guardrails. Most of the time, it, it involves some type of field data collection to start, trying to increase the velocity of data in the organization. Rarely do we see firms not being able to get past or getting down a really solid roadmap without that. So typically, it's some type of field data collection if, if you're in the field and doing that kind of work. Okay. From there... Typically, the next biggest ROI is is time savings around scheduling and utilization of assets and material. Just kind, of, I'm just kind of going through like the biggest ROI things. So typically, it's you know your time, decision making, mm-hmm. which is like the field data collection, and then it's typically scheduling. We also see a lot of clients focusing on cash flow. How can we bill clients sooner? And when you have the data from a daily basis, you can start to bill clients faster than a, a month late. So we have some clients that say, hey, we're going to double in size and we want to get our quick ratio, our balance sheet in a way better spot. We want to start invoicing weekly or we want to start invoicing daily for certain things. So it really depends on the client. But when you kind of think of it in business terms and you have some of those guardrails, the options really kind of rise to the top. Clients aren't you know, struggling to find the next thing. It's pretty apparent to them. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, it's what we see is these companies that are building cultures of innovation, right? When they start to implement changes every 30 days or every 90 days, they're rolling out things and they're making improvements and they're taking input from the users. They start to build cultures of innovation and change so that it doesn't become such a huge lift every time you do it versus the firms that like every five years, they have to do some massive thing, some massive cutover. Right. And they lose a lot of cultural, they damage the culture a little bit versus building cultures of change. And that's what that's what I kind of see as like the, the underlying benefit that you can't put a price tag on. But the firms that are doing it, they're becoming more attractive when it comes to recruitment. They're retaining more employees. So there's a huge advantage there that no one's talking about yet. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, not to mention simply building value into their business also. Right. Um, and, and really being a more attractive a target when that owner chooses to move on to something else. Or, but you're right. So much of that is about anything you can do to attract and retain team members um, is so critical, too. 
I think it ties really nicely into the design thinking too. One of the concepts that I was kind of looking at before this podcast was creative confidence, which is once you start going with this, you can really just kind of, like you're saying, those, those businesses, they, they get a little sense of it and then they can make that a cultural thing. And that's just huge for them versus the ones that aren't super confident about it. You know, every five years they do it and then, you know, they just never get on a roll. But if you get that confidence, I mean, Definitely. it's a game changer. So yeah, it's, it's cool to see. The last few years have been really interesting for everyone in our world. And I think construction industry in particular and, you know, we had COVID and then we had a time period where we were all dead for a few months. And then we had a time period where we were all crazy busy. And a few months after that, we were all experiencing supply chain problems and price increases. And and now we're seeing, of course, higher interest rates and sort of a bear market in the stock market and inflation, things that are going to continue to impact our industry. Because of your work with construction companies, Bob, do you have any advice for construction companies right now as we kind of chart into these next few years and see what they bring? I think the key is that remember why your clients choose you and then make your investment and your decisions off of that. Maintain that. Typically what we see is clients have to pull back on spend don't pull back on the things that enable that to happen. I mean, now I'm taking my technology hat off and putting my business hat on. Mm-hmm. You know, what we've seen is, is firms that uh, aren't aware of that end up cutting in the wrong spots. Um, velocity of data is easier than you think, uh, which is really just getting ahead of things. Like if, if you're tracking stuff monthly, try to figure out how do you track it weekly? That makes a huge difference too. Uh, and that usually doesn't involve too much more technology, right? If you're getting that data, monthly, what can you and your team do to, to increase the velocity so that you can get that data sooner? That usually doesn't involve much cost at all or an outside firm. You're already doing it. And then just kind of working it, way, working it back that way just to put yourself in a better spot because too many times we're making decisions too late. So when the times change like that, do that. And I think having some plan and then being transparent, I mean, that's, that's one thing that technology, you know, we see the difference in, you know, we're in boardrooms and we're in job site trailers. Seeing the difference of perception when it comes to technology and initiatives, what people don't know they're going to make up or what they're not told, right? So being transparent and here's what we're doing, here's why, it helps you get that buying, especially in the times like this when you know the market's doing all crazy stuff. Having alignment with your team, I think, is huge. I guess that goes for any industry, right? No, that's that's good. And, you know, something I know I stress around here is don't just tell people the how or the what, tell them the why, (laughs) you know, why why we're having to do this or why we're in this situation and why we're making these decisions. And and I love what you said there, Bob. I mean, it was so simple. Um, Just thinking about, you know, why do your clients choose you? And don't Don't mess with those things. Keep those going. Um, Right. Yeah. That's fantastic. I think a lot of our audience members here on Construction Disruption are younger folks who are getting started with careers um, in design and, and in construction. Any advice for folks entering maybe the industry or maybe even IT folks um, who want to figure out how to bring more value to our industry? And I, I love your story that you were the IT guy that saw an industry that I can bring value to. So any advice to folks? I think the biggest advice uh, to, to younger folks uh, is that, especially in technology, with, in coming into any, any industry, is understand the business side. 
I've seen too many times where the, the technology group suggests a great project. Like I use that example of that accounting system. Like, oh man, this account, this new one could do all these things. But especially in construction, like no one's going to invest in anything that doesn't have an ROI. So understand the business model because you can come into a construction firm right now and probably find a hundred things that don't make sense, right? Why are they using paper for that? Why are they using Excel for this? But if the solution, you know, doesn't pay for itself, it's not going to get adopted. And I think, you know, I've seen a lot of young people eventually see that and then they're just off to the races. Um, I see other ones get real frustrated and they think that, you know, the leadership are a bunch of idiots, right? <laughs> Try not to be too negative here, but you, you guys know, I'm sure Ethan, I'm sure you've come up with ideas and thinking, what are these guys doing here? Why are they doing it this way, right? Well, there's something <laughs> happened at some point in time that made it easier for them to use paper than whatever system they were using prior. Um, so I think just having the that empathy of understanding that people made the best decision they could at some point in time, understanding that, and then you know taking a fresh approach. And then, I mean, respect your elders, get their input. Um, we've got some firms. I mean, it seems like every construction firm has that person that's been there for 30 years. That person's input is so valuable, right? So just because they have gray hair, don't dismiss their uh, their input. Get their input. They're going to tell you all the ways that things have failed in the past. Take that into consideration. I guess I'm just, these are things I'd be telling my sons right now if they were out here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's great life advice, too. And I know one of the things, I think a lot of people, and I'm way off of construction and IT now, but I think a lot of people go through points where you look back on your childhood and your parents and you think, gosh, why did they do that? Or them doing that impacted me that way. And I know for me, the light switch really clicked when I realized exactly what you said, Bob. My parents did the best they knew how to do given what they had at the time and their intentions were always good. And that really changes a lot of that pain and different things, baggage you may be carrying from your child when you start to realize that, okay, my parents did the best they, they knew how to do. And even if they didn't, if you develop that mindset, it at least changes you. There you go, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been cool. We are close to the end of our time, and I thank you so much. Um, before we close out, though, I do want to ask you if you're willing to participate in our rapid-fire questions. Let's do it. Um, these are seven questions, maybe a little serious, maybe silly. All you got to do is give a short answer. So you're up to it. I'm up to it, right? Our audience needs to understand Bob has no idea what we're going to ask. And yeah, if, if I screw up, you got to just cut this out, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll just, yeah we can edit. Yeah, Maybe. right. Um, <laughs> one thing I will clue the audience in on, I have already been able to work in my challenge. Work. I have not yet. Ooh, so there you go. I have to get creative here. But Ethan has not. So so now as we alternate questions, he can just completely change a question. I can. Order. And that's what I've been thinking about. So we'll see. Okay. Well, we will do our question. Do you want to do the first one? Yeah, I can do the first one. Great. So if you were in the Olympics, what sport would you participate in? Golf. Nice. That's an Olympic sport now, I think. I think it it might be, yeah, one of the newer ones that yeah. they introduced. If it's not, it should be. <laughs> there you go. Okay, question number two. How long does it take you to get ready for your day each morning? 15 minutes. Oh, man. You got me beat by five. I, I swear as you get older, it takes longer because there's just more stuff you got to look at and say, oh, I got to fix that. <laughs> All right. What language would you like to learn? Uh, Spanish. Yeah. 
It's a very practical one. My boys speak Spanish, and I can't, so they they have like this secret language. Mm. I don't know what they're saying. So <laughs> that's dangerous. <laughs> uh, question four. This is interesting. What is the earliest major news story that you recall from your childhood? Probably the Challenger crash. Oh, interesting. That was uh, what eighty four, eighty five, eighty five. Yeah, I maybe. remember seeing that. Yeah, I remember on the one of those old TVs sat on the ground. You know, like it was like a piece yeah, of furniture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, not that young. I still had that experience. <laughs> I, I think I still have one of those TVs stuck someplace in a room. That's interesting. Yeah, because because mine is probably the Vietnam War. Mm. You know, that was that just seemed to permeate the news when I was a child. Right. Um, all right. Um, what's the weirdest food you've ever eaten? Weirdest food? Yeah. Probably like something like crickets or oh, okay. One of those like things you, you know, one of those gag gifts and you just eat it because just oh, to show yeah. like yeah. Yeah. I asked this because I, when we went on my trip, we ate a couple of interesting things too. I tried some octopus, which I've, I've had before, but it was kind of interesting over there. And it, it sure. was fun. You know, the food over there is great. So it, it I've was heard that. Good, you stinker. Okay. <laughs> no, was that his, uh, one of his <laughs> words to get in there? Oh, I see how you do that. <laughs> That's good. Next question. Favorite flavor of ice cream? Now, I could have worked my word into this. Yeah. Okay, I'm giving him, I'm telling too much here. Favorite flavor of ice cream? Ooh, uh, probably peanut butter. Or no, cake batter. Cake batter for sure. I like chocolate peanut butter. That's my I'm a cookie favorite. dough kind of guy, so. Uh, there you go. Okay, last question, Ethan. Um, if you could turn the oceans into any other substance, what would that be? Wow. That is the strangest <laughs> question I've ever been asked. I don't know if I'd want to change it, right? Yeah, With all the I mean, animals, there's a lot of negative survive. environmental stuff there, so I don't know. Yeah, right? I mean, maybe just for a short <laughs> time or something. You know, I don't know. It's not <laughs> really going to happen. Yeah, okay, okay. Like, that's fair. Oh, that's okay, fair. Okay. <laughs> Peanut butter ice cream. There you go. go. Yeah. Cookie dough ice cream. <laughs> uh, this has been great. Well, thank you. This has been a real pleasure. Is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I think the uh, getting back into construction tech. It, if you feel like you, it's too late or you've missed the boat, like you're not alone. That, that's one thing I, you know, I, I speak to a lot of groups about this and there's a lot of people that get negative, like we haven't started or we're super far behind. Like now's actually the best time to start, right? The solutions are the least expensive they've ever been. Your users are the, are the most technology savvy they've ever been. It's, it's perfect timing. So if, if you haven't started or you feel like you're super far behind, don't, don't feel that way. Yeah, that's a good point. No time to start like the present. Right. Yep. <laughs> well, this has been great. If folks want to get in touch with you, uh, what are some easy ways for them to uh, connect with you and your company? Yeah, so our company is Spark Business Works. Uh, you can find us at sparkbusinessworks.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, forward slash Bob Armbrister. That's how you get a hold of us. And we'd love to help anyone interested or anyone we've got a ton of resources on our website too about construction technology and all the stuff we've talked about today so feel free to pop on there for some some free insight fantastic well and i know i connected with you through linkedin and uh and yeah i did that but i'd also heard of you some other ways too so thank you again for joining us um this has been really great very informative and great. uh hopefully we're opening up the minds to a lot of folks of uh, the things you could do for them absolutely stuff Thanks for having me, Todd. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah, thanks. And I will share with our audience, we both completed our challenge words. Yeah, snuck it in there. Mine was pistachio. And Mine he, was octopus, which 
was a pretty easy one with my my recent trip to fit in there. So well, I could have easily worked pistachio in during the ice cream yeah, question, but I thought oh, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Good job, guys. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Bob. And thank you to our audience for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with Bob Armbrister of Spark Business Works and SparkBusinessWorks.com. Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We have more great guests on tap. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, Until the next time, change the world for someone. Make them smile. Encourage them. Very powerful things that we can do to change the world and and interaction at a time. Until the next episode, God bless. Take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off. Until the next episode of Construction Disruption.